Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. What began looking at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels has moved into uh, the book of Acts where God is remaking the world around this axis of love. He is, um, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, bringing his kingdom. And how, we've been looking at how that actually brings liberation, how that brings liberation to all of us, even today, here caught up in that story, liberation from the things that enslave us, oppress us, abuse us, uh, hold us captive or keep us back, um, that the gospel is good news and that it truly brings freedom and it truly liberates. And we continue to see that in the book of Acts and we've taught through that, looking at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended and fell on those disciples in the upper room and, and there was 3,000 people added to the church that day. We've talked about that as the, bap- the birthday of the church. And Steph has talk- taught a few weeks ago on women in the early church and how women's role in the early church to lead, lead in the church. And John shared... Um, about the life of well, Peter's vision on the rooftop and um, the breaking down of borders and boundaries and how this new family of God, this new community had been born and how that it looked very different um, to the ways of the world. Um, I actually was reading this week from a scholar, Will, Willie Jen- Jennings, and he just describes the book of Acts like this. He says, the book of Acts is the beginning of a revolution. It is the overturning of the ways in which boundaries and borders have been designed by us tell us who we are and where we should go. The book of Acts is God's way of overcoming not only these boundaries and borders, but reconstituting uh, what it means to be a people striving for a future and redirecting that future towards a new reality of of joining. Um, This is a revolution in the deepest sense of the word. I kind of really like resonated with that definition. I loved it. In, In essence, God is remaking the world and the ways in which we connect and commune with one another, what it means to be fully human or what it means to be a people. And we see that lived out in the book of Acts. So I want to kind of dive into two little passages, Acts chapter 5 and the beginning of Acts chapter 6. If you've got a Bible or a smartphone, um, look up Acts chapter 5 and um, it'll be on the screen behind us. I'm going to read this first little um, few verses um, and then we'll move in to Acts 6. Um, after that. Um, but basically, to set this, these two verses up in Acts 5, um, the apostles have been cracking on with the ministry. The church has continued to gather, like we talked about last week, built on the foundation of Christ and given themselves over to the ways of Jesus, the fellowshipping together, the apostles' teaching, the prayers, and the breaking of bread. And the apostles have been doing that and the authorities have not been happy with that and they have been put in jail Um, at least some of them have been put in prison and then they face trial and then some wisdom has come from the authorities to say maybe we shouldn't keep these guys locked up because if this is really from God it'll survive and if it isn't it'll disappear on its own anyway and at the end of chapter 5 we have these verses it says his speech persuaded them that was the uh, persuaded them to let the apostles go they called the apostles in they had them flogged and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go again. Um, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts 
and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This was an interesting little passage just at the end of Acts 5. Around the year 320, um, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire, um, Licinius, issued, issued a decree ordering every Christian, this is kind of fast forward 300 years, ordered a decree every Christian would, were to renounce their faith or face death. And when this decree was announced to the Roman army, 40 soldiers of different nationalities, all part of a famous thundering legion, refused to comply with the order to sacrifice to the human gods. They were brought to trial in Sebast, which is in, was in Armenia then, is in now modern-day Turkey, a city in modern-day Turkey. And the governor there threatened them with disgrace if they continued and promised um, promotions to anyone who would renounce their faith. And they all stood firm and they said, to disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus is more terrible still. And the governor was dismayed and devised a plan to test their faith. And they were to be placed upon a frozen lake and naked and exposed to the howling wind until they either changed their minds or froze to death. And the 40 uh, did not want to be stripped. They actually voluntarily undressed themselves and encouraged one another to do so. These 40 soldiers. And a fire was lit on the edge of the lake and some warm baths by uh, the, the governor. Um, and they were told that they could come across and dip in the bath and warm themselves by the fire if they renounced their faith they could do that so the temptation was there for them if they turned away from their christian faith and for three days and three nights the group endured encouraging one another to stand firm the christian soldiers prayed lord we are 40 engaged in this contest grant that 40 may receive crowns of glory and one young, young soldier decided to leave the group for the warmth of the baths, but the shock of bathing in the warmth so suddenly actually caused him to, to die. Uh, and one of the Roman guards who was um, guarding this whole situation was really inspired by the resolve of the remaining 39. And when he was off duty, he fell asleep by one of the fires, and he had a dream in which angels descended upon the soldiers on the lake and crowned them. And he counted there was 39 crowns. And when he woke, the soldier decided that he would join them and make it back to 40. So he took, put down his arms and his cloak and proclaimed himself a Christian and walked out to the grip on the ice and brought the group of 40 mar martyrs back to 40. The group of 39 martyrs back to 40. By the morning of the fourth day, most of these men were dead. And at daybreak, the frozen bodies of the 40 martyrs were burned and the charred bones and ashes thrown into the river. And Christians in the area collected the remains as they could and they actually distributed the relics around the church at the time, the churches at the time, to, I guess, encourage the persecuted church still under the Roman Empire. In fact, the, the family of St. Basil the Great was involved in that. And the soldiers, or the witness of these soldiers who had died on the lake that day, was a great encouragement, I guess, and witness to the good news and the liberation that they'd found. Um, the 40 martyrs of Sebast. It is, it is a real story, and it is 
a popular story in particularly the Eastern Orthodox Church. And you can go and look it up more when you go home. These Roman soldiers who froze to death on an ice-covered lake instead of renouncing their faith. As I say, such well-documented, but just an inspiration to a church that was being persecuted. And a little bit like the story we just read at the end of Acts 5, where the apostles were beginning to face opposition. This was a remarkable story of people dedicated to their faith and laying it all down for the sake of their faith. And I guess all over the world, people suffer um, because of their Christian faith. A few months ago, Steph and Dan and I, we went to an overnight with our Sabar Network family in Castle Wellen, and we spent 24 hours in great fellowship and ministry together. Um, but we learned about the persecuted church in Iran and how it's actually one of the most alive underground churches in the world. There's huge numbers of people that are coming to Jesus in Iran, um, and yet the cost of following Jesus is really great there. And they suffer and maybe often put to death or they're separated from their families. And so there are Christians there that we can be praying for, that we can learn about, that are really counting the cost of what this means to follow Jesus. I think when we hear stories like this, me, I'm talking to myself this morning and maybe you today as well, that we, we, can, we can take a moment and we think, goodness, would I, would I do that? And it can nearly leave us, it can leave us reflecting for a moment, both in two different directions. One, such great inspiration that we take from people that are able to put their lives in the line. Or we love people that are committed. They, they mean what they say and they say what they mean. We love those stories. And yet at the same time, we can also feel a bit disconcerted because we just a natural response. Thank goodness. Goodness, could, could I do that? Because um, for the most part, and I would imagine most of us in this room haven't been flogged for our faith. I would say most of us perhaps haven't been separated from our families or suffered in those kinds of ways. Um, and yet, um, there's people that are suffering that in all such different circumstances. I guess maybe even some of us wonder, do, am I really trusting the Lord every day, moment to moment, for even my own livelihood? And there might be some of you that absolutely are, but I'd say for the majority of us, this feels like a distant way off, these kinds of stories. And yet you could imagine, when we go back to Acts chapter 5, imagine that story where the apostles, the, the church has been born, the apostles are now doing, doing the works of the kingdom. People are being healed and being baptized and being brought into the church. And then the apostles are facing persecution. They're put in jail. They're then faced trial. And yes, they're released, but they have to deal with this flogging for their faith. You can imagine as the news spread from house to house, that all the congregations, all the little uh, communities of faith following Jesus were like, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? Will that come to me? Will that happen to me? And I, I, I want to kind of park, I want to kind of share that bit and park that. We're going to kind of move into chapter six now of Acts because I think it has a relevance to what we then begin to see happen in Acts chapter six because ultimately I want this to be like an encouragement to us this morning, not something that leaves us disconcerted, but something that actually perhaps awakens our faith, because I believe that every single one of us are called by Jesus to the works of the kingdom and empowered by the Spirit. But sometimes we feel that we aren't, or sometimes because perhaps it is easier here in the West, or we have such freedom of religion, we're like, goodness, would I ever do something like that? Would I ever face persecution like that? 
And I believe that actually we are called, every single one of us, um, by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit um, to do the works of the kingdom. So let's move into Acts chapter 6 because it will make more sense when we keep going. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read it all through, uh, and then we're going to connect these two passages together. It'll be behind me on the screen. So in those days, when the, numbers of, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and also Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timar, Parinus and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is like a completely different story. We've kind of jumped into like, you know, kind of administration in the early church. And here we have basically the appointing of a leadership team. I guess the word deacon comes in there and we know that that word kind of has gone on to mean all sorts of things in the tradition of the church. Um, but we know Stephen is mentioned in that list, and we're going to look at Stephen's life you know, after the break in a few weeks' time. But Stephen was the first martyr in the church, and yet here we are, after the threat of the apostles you know, being locked up and then being flogged, Stephen puts himself forward along with these six other men to become deacons, to wait on tables, and it's, there's a thought there, what, what does that actually mean to wait on tables? It feels like perhaps a superfluous job or maybe not that important. And in fact, this was a really significant leadership position. It was the responsibility to delegate and to organize all of the monies and all of the resources of this new family, this new church community, so that it would minister to the needs of the community. So Stephen and these guys were responsible for making sure that those who can't take care of themselves were taken care of. And essentially, that is ultimately what the church is all about, taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And they, they give their yes, they step up, they, they, they become deacons. And there's this beautiful moment where, I guess, leadership is delegated Um, But there's a bit of dispute here because we've got two different groups of these Christians, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. And I guess like any family that is trying to live together and share resources, there's always going to be difficulty. Um, It's not always going to be harmonious. And it it came, as I say, to the treatment of of widows. And just a little bit on that, I guess, which is quite important. Um, Some people have thought perhaps that there was a lot of Jews Um, in the diaspora, spread around um, that whole region who weren't living in Jerusalem at the time. There was a thought that um, in older age, Jews would return back to Jerusalem in their older age so that they could be buried there in the vicinity of the holy city. 
And so then when one partner would have passed away, then you would have had a, a widower, a widower. So the, the number of widowers and widows in Jerusalem would have been quite high. And the church decided to, to take on the role of looking after those who couldn't look after uh, themselves. I'm actually reminded just of that passage in James, which uh, James 1.27, which says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Good religion, pure religion, holy religion is to look after those who cannot look after themselves. But yet there was an administrative dispute between these two different groups in the church that had different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, spoke different languages. Um, and so in stepped the apostles and they decided we're going to fix this by administering it, by setting up a rota, by appointing leaders. And we had those seven leaders appointed. So that's the context of what's happening. The church is trying to just be the church. And it's trying to get through all the problems that churches have or communities have or families have and how to meet all the needs of a collective. And they delegate that responsibility to these, to these men. After all, they had witnessed Jesus sharing the mission with them. When Jesus was walking the earth, he shared the ministry and the mission with them and invited them in to participate. And they would have recognized that. And so the apostles began to empower others to lead uh, around them. And so Stephen, Philip, and the others became deacons in the church, waiting tables, looking after the monies and the resources, and making sure everyone was taken care of. And it says, what kind of men are these? It says in verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose among you those who are to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. That was the qualifier. Those who were to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And I guess this morning, I guess my, my, the point of my message and where I'm going this morning is a very, very simple one. Effectively, these men in this passage, despite all the persecution going on, they were responding to the call of Jesus in their lives and the empowering work of the Spirit to play their part, to, to, to live out their calling to live out their mission. Um, and as I've already said, Stephen would go on to become a martyr in the church. But this is not the bit of the sermon where I start to make us all feel guilty about not serving and playing our part. That's not the purpose of what I'm sharing this morning. Get involved in Redeemer and start serving. That's not where I'm going this morning. What I want to kind of call out in us is that every single one of us in this room are called to the mission of God in this world. Not, I'm not talking about Redeemer here. I'm talking about the work of the kingdom of God in this world. Every single one of you has a role to play. And sometimes, perhaps, when the pressure is turned up, it comes out of people. When they're on a frozen lake or when they're being flogged, it comes out. And sometimes we just have a difficulty discovering it, but it is there. And I want to encourage you because it is there. You have been called by Jesus to do the works of the kingdom. I'm not talking about a Rhoda and Redeemer. I'm talking about 
something that burns on your heart, or maybe there isn't something on your heart, you don't know what it is, you're not sure, you're kind of going, yeah, I, I'd like to get involved, I'd like, yeah, I'm resonating, but I have no idea what my passion is, I have no idea what God's calling me to, I don't know what that looks like, I just want to encourage you, that's okay, but it is there, the Lord has something for every single one of us. This week, um, our new senior leadership gathered. Um, so if you haven't been around the past two weeks, Stephanie and Dan and I are joined by Scott and Naomi Witherick and Ian Ryans and John Heron. And we have, in fact, it's a seven. <laughs> it's seven people. And we were talking about the challenges of leadership and all of that and getting to know one another. But you know what? Ultimately, I believe the role of that leadership team, of, of us as leaders in the church, is not to do the work of the church. It's actually to help you discover the call that God has on your life. The, the leaders are called to equip the saints. And I believe that the leadership team here, that's our responsibility, is to help one another discover the call of God in our lives, discover that passion in our hearts, to be joined in the mission of God and what he would have you do. And here's the other thing that I was struck by when I looked at this passage. When we think about these seven men, at that time it was men, is that the ministry that they're being called to is not this massive big thing. I would sum it up like this, that their ministry, their response, the starting place for them was loving those right in front of them. You might have a burning passion on your heart. It might be human trafficking. It might be serving this community, this parish. It might be uh, fostering an adoption. It might be business. It might be raising a family. There might be, there also, you might not know exactly what God's called you to. And I want to say that God has called each and every one of us to simply give our yes to loving those right in front of us. Stephen is one of those seven. And Stephen goes on to, his name is known by us because he is martyred, and we'll get to that in a few weeks' time. The first martyr of the church. His ministry starts by administering the monies to the wit, by taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves, by loving those right in front of him. And I, I just want to encourage us that if we don't even know where to begin sometimes with this question of God's called me to something, Jesus has called me to his work, it is as simple as that. It starts right there. And every single one of us are called to this mission of God, to the works of the kingdom. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry it out. We're not left alone. And yet, as in the second thought, looking at this passage, I also want to acknowledge, well, let me start by personalizing this. Growing up, I had this understanding that if I served, or if I got involved, or if I responded to the call of the Lord, or if I gave, or if I sang enough worship songs, that I'd have my best life now. Everything would work out, and it would be fantastic the Instagram life and it's not the case because just like those 40 soldiers on the lake, just like the apostles being flogged, here we have Stephen going on to be martyred 
the call of the Lord, the road of faith, the life of faith, the works of the kingdom does not mean that we're going to have an easy life. It's not without challenge or trial or difficulty. But it means that the Lord will be with us in it. And I think it's really important to say that and to name that because sometimes we think this is, sounds amazing. I go to a church and they're getting us armed to get involved and go, we've got a call and it's going to be great. And then we hit what's called the wall. Many of us have faced that. You hit what's called the wall where life doesn't work out the way you'd hoped. And there's a mystery to all of that. And life is ups and downs. It's never going to be straightforward and easy. There's a cost to it. But when we're tethered to the foundation of Christ, when we're living out faithfully the call in our hearts, it's, it's worth it. It is worth it. And so we, our prayer, I guess, is, Lord, help me find and identify that call and that passion. Help me be filled with the Holy Spirit that I may be faithful to that call and live it out, that it will sustain me through those difficult periods and seasons because it's worth it and because you're worth it. James chapter 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And if you fast forward to verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, the vision that the Roman soldier had in his dream when he went to join the 39 on the lake, the crowning of the martyrs, it says that those who face trial or persecution or difficulty in the name of Jesus will be crowned. And it is pure joy. And so I was thinking about bringing this message this morning. I was thinking about two different groups of people. I was thinking about all of us and the call that God has for us to be involved in his mission in the world, to be his hands and feet, the works of the kingdom. But I was also reminded as I kind of lived with this a little bit that no, there actually are people in this room that have faced persecution for their faith. Some of you in this room have faced difficulty because you follow Jesus, because of who you are, because of maybe what you've done. It has created tensions in your relationships. And I wanted to kind of speak to you this morning and encourage you that there's joy in the journey, that Jesus is worth it, that his hand is on you that you're going the right direction, that you're following him faithfully, that you spoke out in truth and you face backlash, but you're on the side of truth. You're on the side of Christ. You're on the side of the kingdom. And persecution and disappointment and abuse and oppression from others, it might not be flogging, it might not be being frozen on a lake, but it can be real. And there is a cost that many of you have faced in this room and you bear the wounds of that. I want to encourage you, though, that God has still got a call for you. You haven't fallen off the path. You're still on it. You've been faithful to him and his way. 
You've stood up for the way of truth. And he wants to keep you going on that road. He wants to fill you with his spirit and empower you to keep working out the works of the kingdom and staying on that road to see his kingdom come. Be encouraged. It is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And he's called every single one of us, even if we faced opposition, even if we face trial, he's faithful. It is worth it. And he has so much more for us as we continue to trust him and move forward with him, empowered by the Spirit. And I'd love us to think about all that as we come to the table. I'd love to ask Chris and Eleanor, would you help me out at the table? This morning we're going to serve uh, the bread and the wine. Fra and Les are going to come and lead us in some worship. And I'd love to invite you all to stand as we bring all of this around the table of grace. I'd love us just to take a moment, um, just before we do that, to pray. But before we do that, if you are new in the room and you don't know how we do this, you're more than welcome to come to take the bread and the wine. It's gluten-free bread and juice. Um, please do come forward, and Eleanor and Chris will serve you. Um, and as I say, you're more than welcome to participate at this open table of Jesus. But before we, before we rush on, I'd love to just kind of pray over us this morning and I'd love you to close your eyes and maybe just consider what, what's on your heart what the Spirit's been maybe saying to you in your heart maybe where you might locate yourself um, in this in these stories this morning um, maybe you are someone who's thinking goodness would I would I lay my life down would I, would I sacrifice that for the kingdom and it leaves you a bit disconcerted when you hear these great stories of people doing that you're inspired but you're also feeling goodness I want to encourage you and say that the seed is in you, that God has called you to a particular mission, a particular passion, and that he's willing to help you discover that if you just begin by loving those around you, by looking after those around you that need looked after, by bringing liberation to those who are enslaved, Start small and start there. Maybe even start here in this community. Maybe start in your family. Maybe start in your workplace. That's where it begins. No one is born a martyr. We are simply born into the kingdom and the Lord leads us on a journey. And so don't discount yourself because you're called to the works of the kingdom. And then maybe in the room today, you're someone who actually, this is resonating because you have faced opposition or persecution for taking a stand for your faith, for serving your heart out, for following Jesus. I want to encourage you that God's hand is on you, that you've not fallen away or fallen off the wagon, but that you can consider it joy when you face trial and temptation that it proves your faithfulness and that God is with you and he will bring healing and restoration and use all that has been done against you for his good he will crown you with crowns of glory so Lord we just thank you today for some of the examples that we have in history the example of the church 
of men and women who are just willing to be faithful one step at a time, despite the challenges. And for those who face the challenges and live through them, the way that you sustain us, Lord, we just pray that by your Spirit you'd fall on each one in this room. Fill us afresh. Bring your anointing. Bring your releasing. Illuminate our hearts. For those who don't know what their passion or calling might be, Lord, begin to speak to them and activate that in them. Mobilize them to find their passion in you, that they may love those right in front of them. And Lord, for those who are hurting, who are wounded from having taken those risks, Lord, we pray your healing and your hope. We pray for your restoration. We pray that even as they come and taste of the bread and the wine this morning, that they may receive your healing power and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, let's come to the table and let's be filled up again by the grace of God.